Thank you, Floyd, and uh, it's a privilege to be here and to be able to uh, help out this morning, and uh, I really owe it, owe it to Floyd here for sitting on my ordination council, coming all the way down to Burlington, Iowa to do that, so here I get to give back a little bit, and this is awesome, so, you know, just this morning, just seeing so many people here, I see you got a lot of big problems. All those kids, and you're still having some. What great problems to have, but really they're no problems at all because I'm looking around here and I see so many servants too. And God is going to use you to fill those positions, I'm sure. And I really wasn't going to talk about myself this morning, but uh, Floyd said, hey, just tell a little bit about yourself. So I'll, I'll go ahead and do that. And some of you are probably thinking, what's an old guy like me in his 60s doing just getting ordained now? Well, that's a, that's a long story. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Ireland. Uh, Grew up in an orphanage. No, I wasn't an orphan. My parents ran the orphanage. But um, moved to the States when I was married. Had two kids. Nearly 30 years old. And I've been here ever since. All those years I worked in construction. And always had this nagging feeling that, you know what, there's something more. I'm not quite fulfilled. I, I know God has something else for me. But I kept thinking to myself, I'm just a dumb construction worker. Who, who do you think you are? Kept putting this off, putting this off until about nine years ago, and God got a hold of me and says, you know what, if God can, if Jesus can use a few uneducated, simple fishermen, he can use you too. And it's only then that I says, okay. So I, I became a pastor at Harmony nine years ago, and, and just uh, this fall, as Floyd said, I got ordained, so it's a, it's a privilege to be able to serve in that way. But uh, I say that to you guys to say, don't drag your feet as long as I did. If he's called you to be in, get in the game, get in the game. Not that I wasn't in the game. I've been, I've been serving in a lot of ways in children's ministry, in, in, in junior high ministry. And God even used that in my workplace. You know what I mean? As, as, as people would say, well, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I was teaching Sunday school. I was teaching. Oh, what's that like? Well, we're taught the story about such and such. You ever hear that? No. Hey, let me tell you. What an opportunity to serve in kids' ministry and bring that into the workplace with you. But this morning, this morning, we're going to be... Uh, I, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I just want to talk about purpose, you know what I mean? And I spent too many years looking for the purpose in my life. I, I had a purpose, but I wasn't living it to the fullest. And it seems to me that we tend to live in an age where no one's satisfied. Contentment is elusive, and more often than not, people are asking the question, if only I knew my purpose in life. So what do we do? We try to find contentment, we find fulfillment, and we try to find purpose in trying to get that college degree, the perfect job, the perfect career, in pursuing relationships, whether that's dating or marriage, finding a husband or a wife, in our family, in our children, in, our, in sports, in our hobbies. We try to find that fulfillment. Now, don't get me wrong. These are all good things but they're not really our primary purpose as Christians here on this earth. So what ends up happening is we end up feeling a little bit despondent. 
I'm going to age myself here a little bit. See if any of you remember Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones. <laughs> from an earthly perspective, he had it all. Fame and fortune. But he spoke the truth about himself in one of his songs that goes like this. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. So I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. I can't get no satisfaction. And let's face it. Without meaningful purpose in life, it's easy to become depressed. And without hope... And leading us to look for satisfaction in all the wrong places, which ultimately fails and leaves us even worse off. But there's good news for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ because he has given us a purpose. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to dig in to see what that purpose is that Jesus has for each one of us as followers of his. Will you pray with me? Lord, I'm just going to ask right now this morning that your Holy Spirit moves. Some of us need to be convicted. Some of us need to be motivated. And some of us need to be encouraged. Lord, whatever the case may be for everyone here this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit will do his work through your words that come from your book, the Bible this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the passage we're going to be looking at this morning is taken right out of the Beatitudes, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And uh, when Jesus talks, we're usually going to be shocked in some way or other. We're going to sit up and say, whoa, did, did he really say that? That's the Sermon on the Mount. So it should, if, if it strikes us in a certain way, we should take note and sit up and think about our thoughts and actions, the way I think, talk, and act. And today we're going to be looking at four verses that give us this great purpose. Great purpose that Jesus has for us and the importance of our mission. So let's go ahead and read. We're going to start reading in verse 13 and read through 16. Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, if we go back to verse 1 in chapter 5, we'll see that this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and it says he's talking to his disciples. Now, he's not just talking to the twelve. It says there was a great multitude, a great crowd of people there. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. So I want you to note here, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you are his disciple. And what he's saying to them people, those people on the Sermon on the Mount, he is speaking to every single one of us. So, in, so if, with that in mind, let's see what Jesus is saying here this morning to you and you and you and me. This is directed directly to us. If you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. 
In these four verses, Jesus used the uses the analogy of salt and light. So let's look at salt first. It starts out by saying, you are the salt of the earth. Not you ought to be, or hopefully at some point in life you will become. No, he says, you are. Have you ever thought about being salt before? Let's talk about salt a little bit here right now. Perhaps one of those things, salt is one of those things you don't really think about too much. That is until you don't have it. And then that's all you can think about. Early on in my marriage, my wife and I were invited over to some friend's house for supper. So we went over there, and when the host brought out a couple of heaping bowls of spaghetti and put them on the table, I was excited. After all, who doesn't like spaghetti, right? There was a plenty there, so I took an ample portion, not to offend my hosts, and started to tuck in. With the first bite, I put it in my mouth, and I was, oh no, oh no. Come to find out our hosts had been on a health kick and decided that all salt is bad. No salt shaker, no salt in it, and they were proud to tell us, oh, yes, we don't use salt anymore. I'm like, oh, no. Why did I take so much? How am I going to pass all this spaghetti over my, through my mouth, over my palate, and choke it down? <laughs> With every bite, all I could think is, I need salt. <laughs> no salt, no good. And no, definitely no desire for seconds. We desire salt because it enhances the flavor of food. It's in practically everything we eat, from our Sunday pot roast to the ice cream we have for dessert. And why would God create us with a taste and a desire for salt? Because it's something our body absolutely needs to survive. On the Harvard Health website, it says, and I quote, the human body can't live, can't live without some sodium. It's needed to transmit nerve impulses, contract and relax muscle fibers, including those in the heart and blood vessels, and to maintain a proper fluid balance. Now, before I hear back from some of you about uh, the dangers of consuming too much salt, I'll concede that, yes, that's also a problem. But let me tell you a story. This is a story about my grandmother. She was one of those people that really thought, eh, you shouldn't have too much salt. And, and, and uh, she would always chide my grandfather. His name was Corliss, and say, Corliss, stop eating so much salt. But no more, sooner would she put a plate of food in front of me. You would grab the salt shaker and sprinkle another layer all over it. And then maybe a little bit more just on top of that. Corliss, she'd say, that salt is going to kill you. Well, sure enough, Corliss got sick, very sick. And as they went to see the doctor, she reminded him, I tried to tell you about all that salt. Some tests were done, and my grandfather walked out of the doctor's office with two things. Number one, a big grin on his face, and number two, a bottle of salt tablets. (laughs) 
because he didn't have enough sodium in his, his system. <laughs> Needless to say, my grandmother never pestered him about his salt intake after that. <laughs> Our body needs salt. Without it, we don't survive. So what is Jesus saying when he says that we are the salt of the earth? Is he saying that the earth, or more specifically, the people of the earth, the inhabitants of the earth, need us as Christians? And without us, those same people who inhabit the earth are in desperate peril of dying? Yes. Let me explain. What do we have? What do you have that the world needs? The gospel. And what is the gospel? It's the good news that Jesus came so that we can have life. Life that we don't deserve in place of the punishment that we do deserve. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious full of grace, like your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Did you get that? Our speech is to be seasoned with grace. That's the salt. And what is grace? It's the good news of Jesus, that he came to take our punishment and give us life. Or it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for it is by grace, there it is again, by grace you have been saved through faith. Let me put it another way. When we speak, we need to be mindful of how we can sprinkle our conversation with a little gospel grace. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I want you to put on your imagination cap here for a second. Imagine you were a salt shaker. I'm sure none of you have ever imagined yourself as a salt shaker before, but just play with me here. You're a salt shaker. What happens whenever you shake a salt shaker? Out comes salt. At least that's what's supposed to happen, right? So if you're a Christian salt shaker, what should come out your mouth whenever time you open it? The gospel the good news, the solution to all our sins, the story of love, forgiveness, grace, and life. The message that is absolutely vital for life, everlasting life. I started out by telling you that everyone needs and to some extent desires salt. Similarly, Everyone absolutely needs the good news of the gospel. And for the most part, everyone desires to hear good news, right? So if that's the case, why are so many people resistant to it? Salt doesn't just season food. In Jesus' day, there was no refrigeration, and salt was used as a way of preserving food from rot. Now, how did it do this? The salt killed the bad bacteria that caused the decay. Before antibiotics, salt was used as an antiseptic to kill that same bad bacteria that causes food to rot to kill the bacteria in a wound. So if you're on a camping trip, as a three or four day camping trip, you're away from all civilization, you've got your backpack on, and you get a big gash, but you've got no modern medicine, what are you going to do? 
What you should do is take some of the salt that you brought from your dinner and put it on the wound. But here's the problem with that. You know if you do that, it's going to sting like a son of a gun. And here's the dilemma. Do I risk the sting and kill the bacteria or risk the infection and lose my arm? Last summer, my wife and I had some of our grandchildren with us. We were camping at Lake Geode. And while there, my grandson fell and scraped his knee. Got the little gravel in it. and He was pretty upset. And I, There was no way that you were going to touch that. If you even touched his leg, you'd think by the hollering out of him, you'd think I was going to cut his leg off. I said, hey, can I just pour a little water over it? to just wash it away. And although he knew that was the right thing to do, do you think he'd let me do that? Absolutely not. So why does the gospel, even though it is the good news, sting sometimes, even when it is the very thing that we need, it stings because we are not ready to kill those bacteria, those sins that are slowly killing us. So we shout and holler and scream and protest and make every excuse under the sun to avoid the one and only thing that can really save us. But it's also why we are told to speak the truth in love and to let our, our, our speech be seasoned with grace. When my grandson scraped his knee, but wouldn't let me clean it, did I shout and scream at him and say, well, then your knee is going to get infected. It's going to turn to gangrene, and we're going to have to amputate your leg to save your life. Of course not. No, you simply let him calm down, and you come back for a second try a little bit later, right? When you share the gospel, and your message stings a little bit with the person you're, you're, you're sharing it with, how should you respond to that rejection? Because oftentimes we are rejected. Even though I say this is the news they need, sometimes they reject it because it's stinging. Are you going to shout condemnation at that person you're talking to? Are you going to just give up and say, well, I tried. It's your loss. No. You're going to come back a little later for another gentle approach. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. My friends, you are the salt of the earth. You have the good news. You have the prescription for life. It's the gospel. Jesus gives a warning to those who have stopped sharing their faith. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. If salt sits around without being used for too long, it loses its ability to preserve food and to make that food tasty and desirable. When we put it to use in its intended way, it makes a big impact. When we don't, no impact. Let me suggest that in the same way, when we lose our saltiness, by ceasing to use the salt we have, and what is that salt? It's the gospel. When we don't use salt regularly, it turns hard on 
unusable for its intended purpose. So what do we do? We throw it out on the footpath. It helps keep down the weeds because the weeds don't grow good, even with the bad soil. So it's, it's not totally useless, but its impact has diminished so much to the point where no one hardly even notices. This reminds me of the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. I'd encourage you to read it if you're not familiar with it. But the bottom line is this. If you use what God has given you for his glory, he will give you more. If you don't use what he has given you, he will take away even what he has given you. Use it or lose it. So what's the saltiness in us? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Let's sprinkle it out wherever we go before it hardens and, and, and we are no longer able to verbalize it. We can't even get it out anymore because we're unfamiliar with how to get it out. So if salt is the gospel in you that we're supposed to speak about, what is the light all about? Back to verse 14 in our passage. It says, you are the light of the world. Let me point out again what Jesus is saying here. He's saying you are. Again, not you should be or you can become or you might be when you get older, when you become more sure, when you've sat under Floyd's teaching for the hundredth time, maybe you will become... No, you are. You are the light of the world. This shows the great importance of the mission that Jesus has given us. The great value we have in what we do. But before we get all proud and high and mighty on our own importance and think, well, I'm the shining star, I'm the light... Let's dig and see. We'll dig in and see what that light really is. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, Jesus speaking says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in John, chapter 1, when John is introducing Jesus, who he is, he refers to him as being the light seven times in six verses. Or what about Matthew? When he wants his readers to understand who Jesus is, he quotes the prophet Isaiah when he says, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. Who's that light? Jesus. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Who is that great light who has come into the world? To give light to those living in the shadow of death? Yes, it's Jesus. So if Jesus is the light of the world, why would he say, you are the light of the world? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, God is creating the earth. And in verse 14, he says, let there be lights in the sky to separate the day and the night. And by verse 16, he says, he created a greater light to rule the day and a lesser light to rule the night. What are they? They're the sun and the moon. Now, in early August, I was back in Ireland visiting. We had a family reunion back there, and uh, I walked out one night. It was about 11 o'clock at night, walked out of the house, and what I saw so amazed me, I had to run back in and get everyone else to say, hey, come outside here. You've got to see this. It was the brightest moon I think I had ever seen. 
I mean, literally, you could see your shadow on the ground so clearly. You could walk around. You could see anything. You were never afraid of bumping into it. It was so bright. So let me ask you, does the moon really produce any light? No. It only reflects the light of the sun, S-U-N. Likewise, the only light we have is what we reflect from the sun, S-O-N, Jesus, the Son of God. So if you're a disciple, you are the light of the world because you have the light of Jesus shining through you or you are reflecting his light or you should be. You know, that's humbling because we know that the power of the light in us only comes through Jesus. But it's also very exciting because that power, that light has the power to change the world. And guess what? We carry that light. Is that not exciting? Remember the third beatitude. So right up before, before this passage we're just looking at in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives the beatitudes. The third beatitude says this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What is meekness? It's great power under control. Power enough to inherit the earth. Power enough to change the world. Whew, that's a lot of power, right? So if we are the light of the world because Jesus' light is shining through us, or we are reflecting that light, what does that look like? Let's read Verses 14 and 15 again. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. First of all, let's talk about physical light and darkness. And unless you've been in a cave somewhere without any lights on, you probably don't, haven't really experienced full, total darkness. I know that when I get up in the middle of the night, you know, I never have to turn on the light. You know, it always seems to be just a little bit of light coming through somewhere, whether it's a glow on the, the alarm clock or, or maybe just a crack in the curtain and two blocks away there's a light coming and I, I can, I, that orientates me so I know where the door is. But it seems like there's always some light. But I remember growing up in an old house in rural Ireland, and I tell you, this is further north than we are. And I tell you what, on a cold, winter, cloudy night, it got dark. I'm walking through that old house, and I would walk around, and I think I know where I'm going, but I'd have my two hands out like this. Well, I remember one night walking along like this to keep myself, protect myself, and straddle a post that came right through and split my head open. <laughs> I still got the mark to show from it. Trust me. It's dangerous walking in darkness. We need light for safety. As a teenager growing up in that same house, the electric company went on strike, creating rolling black blackouts. But we were ready. Not only did we have candles, but we put them in prominent locations surrounded by every mirror we could find so that light was multiplied and reflected. The light from the candle shone brightly and it was comforting to know that we were safe because we could see where we were going. That's physical light and darkness. But spiritual darkness is far more dangerous, which is why Jesus 
not only said, you are the light of the world, but, get this, let your light shine. Verse 16. My friends, we live in a very spiritually dark world where people are in peril because they have never been exposed to the true light, Jesus. I quoted from Matthew 4:16 earlier where it talks about those living in the land of the shadow of death. And unless our friends, family, neighbors, or whoever are exposed to the light of the truth, of the saving grace of Jesus, they will stumble blindly through light, through life, heading for an eternity of separation from God to a place Jesus describes as outer darkness. That's real darkness. Outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But Jesus says that it is our responsibility to do something about those who are walking in darkness. If we are the light of the world, then it is our responsibility to let that light shine. So how do we do that? Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Listen carefully here for me, to me for a second. If the people you work with, hunt with, fish with, hang out with, go to school with, don't know you are a Christian, then it's because your light is not shining. To put it in Jesus' words, you have hidden your light under a basket. So how do we let it shine? Jesus says we let it shine by doing good works. And how do we do good works? By doing the very things Jesus talked about in the, in, in the previous few verses in the Beatitudes. By living out the Beatitudes. By mourning with the brokenhearted. By being meek and compassionate instead of being a bully who is also always fighting for their own rights. I think that's one we often fail with in the conservative Christian culture. But this is my right as a Christian. This is my right as an American. Let, let me remind you, Jesus gave all his rights, gave away all his rights in heaven, and came and humbled himself to die on the cross. People notice by showing mercy to those who need help, by being the peacemaker. These are not the ways of the world. And when we choose to act in this way, people will notice the light that you have. And that's your opportunity to point them to Jesus. I can't remember, tell you the number of times someone has said to me, if only I knew my purpose in life. Well, let me tell you, Jesus just laid it out for you. Your purpose in life is to be salt and to be light. You notice I never said you can be salt or light. Choose one. No, he said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. So what's the problem with being salt without light or light without salt? We talked about salt as being the gospel we are cared, called to share. Remember? We are the salt shakers. We have the message of life. But if, what if we go around telling everybody about the love of Jesus and fail to show any compassion, any mercy, any love? Guess what? People will see us for the frauds we really are and say, 
<laughs> he's always talking about love, but he has no love. Why would I listen to him? And what's the problem with being light with no salt? Remember, being light means that we are reflecting the love of Jesus by living out the Beatitudes in a way that people will notice. But what happens if we live them out and never talk about Jesus? I'll tell you what will happen. People will look at us and think, oh, what a good person you are. You're such a great person. And guess what happens then? And I don't share about Jesus. I pretty soon start to get a big head and I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm a pretty good person, aren't I? And Satan will use that pride and begin to bring you down and no one will be pointed to Jesus. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jim Hoffman is a friend of mine. He attends church with me at the Burlington campus in Harmony Bible Church Burlington campus. He's 88 years old and has lived in Burlington his whole life and has served the community of Southeast Iowa as a teacher and athletic coach for many years own retiring from coaching last fall at the age of 87. As such, not only did he motivate and challenge his students, but he loved them. And when opportunity presented itself, he would share his faith with them about Jesus. Recently, Jim was inducted into Burlington's Athletic Hall of Fame. And the following Sunday after that happened, I saw Jim at church, and when I saw him, I said, Jim, that was a great write-up in the paper about you getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. His response was this. He, he, he looked at me, he bowed his head and shook his head a little bit, and he says, having your name engraved on a brick in the Wall of Fame amounts to nothing. Having your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life means everything. Here's a man who gets it. You see, here's a man who gets what it means to be salt and light. He did this by serving others, and when they noticed, he would turn them right around to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about the Lamb's Book of Life. This is what really matters. I know there are some here today, and you're scared to death to open your mouth about your faith in Christ you're like a salt shaker who's all clogged up and there's no way there's any salt coming out. There's no gospel coming out. Perhaps you reason that, you know, because you haven't been through the evangelism class, you're not prepared to talk about Jesus. Or maybe, maybe you just don't know enough yet, but when you do, you'll be ready. I'll tell you what, none of this is true. Some of the best people for sharing their faith are brand new believers who are just excited to share what Jesus has done for them. Perhaps that salt has been sitting still for way too long, and the reason that it won't come out is because you've got spiritual constipation. Perhaps this time you got down on your knees and asked God to shake you up and loosen you up so that that gospel salt will start flowing again. And don't forget, if you are the light of the world, then you need to let your light shine. What good is a lighthouse if the light has gone out? The purpose of a lighthouse is to warn sailors who are in peril 
of getting dashed on the rocks in the storm. If there's a basket hiding your light, perhaps today is the day when you say, Jesus, I'm sorry for hiding my light. There are so many ways you can get involved in your community and ways to let your light shine. Maybe you start right here at Cornerstone by saying, hey, I want to help in children's ministry. Won't you start today to burn that basket and say, no more shame. Jesus, you died for me. Today I start to shine for you. Perhaps you're here today. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you've been coming a while, but you just haven't got all this yet. You have no idea what we're even talking about. It may be because you don't have the light in you. You don't have Jesus. You haven't come to the place where you are ready to trust him as your Lord and Savior. You're afraid that that salt is going to sting. You're not sure you're ready to or able to turn from those sins that hold you captive. Trust me, that sting will be so worth it if you repent and turn in faith to the only one who can preserve you, cleanse you from your sins, and give you everlasting life. Let me tell you, this is the only way you can find true healing in your life. And with it, there is safety from crashing on the rocks of despair that have no hope. Won't today be the day when you turn and say, Jesus, I need you. I'm ready to trust in you. Please pray with me. Lord, I just uh, thank you for your word. Sometimes it's so convicting, so compelling. And Lord, if there is somebody here today that has never trusted in you, today would be the day where they say, Lord, I'm ready for that sting. I'm ready for you to do the work in my heart. I'm ready to be healed. Lord, there's others of us here today, myself included, who have not let their light shine the way it should. They've not been ready to sprinkle out that gospel conversation like we should. Lord, today that we would say, Jesus... This is, this is my purpose in life. This is what you have called me to do. Lord, I pray that we would all be motivated to be better salt shakers, to be better lights for your kingdom, and to give us a purpose and a joy in being salt and light. I pray this in your precious name. Amen.